0: Hey Seth, how's it going? It's going great. It's not raining here.
1: It rained so much this past weekend. I know. And it was the same here. And we had a beautiful Richmond spring day. About mid to high 60s. No clouds, no humidity, no bugs, no pollen. Well, at least that I was aware of. Just perfect. (laughs) And what a better way to cap off a perfect day... Then spend it with you. I'm blushing. Good. You better, because I'm about to ask you a very embarrassing question. What would you do in this particular situation? Would you want to be a judge on America's Got Talent or a judge on So You Think You Can Dance?
0: Well, I know nothing about dance. I took eight dance lessons. relatively recently as like a a clergy retreat i don't know like clergy for clergy wellness i should say and i'm pretty bad i already forget everything that we learned (laughs) so i guess i'm gonna have to go with america's got talent i just wish that it was called america has talent
1: isn't so it's i guess with the the apostrophe s there It's, uh, America has got talent. talent.
0: Yeah, which is terrible.
1: But, so in your definition, it should be just America's talent? No, it should just be America has talent. Oh, that's not catchy.
0: (laughs) We apparently don't have grammar.
1: That's true. (laughs) Don't got none, grammar. But, see, okay... I think on America's Got Talent, I would be the Howie Mandel judge that just was like, <gasps> and reacting like so animated to everything I see because I would just be so impressed all the time. Also on America's Got Talent, I almost to a T cry every time they hit the golden buzzer. Like whatever formula that the producers have developed for uh, for like heightening the emotional uh, tone and energy... It's it's me. They hit me right in the gut every time, but I think I would be a hilarious judge on So You Think It Could da- You Can Dance because I think I can dance, but I can't dance, and so I would just <laughs> you... also have those same reactions, then like BS my way through. <laughs> give some sort of critique of this amazing <laughs> dance performance or i'll be like oh, that was incredible and the other judges would be like this is garbage and here are all the reasons why and i'll have no idea so yeah i'll go with so you think you can dance because i think it would be more embarrassing
0: i respect that either way you sound like the judge who just like puts everybody through him you're like randy oh, yeah. jackson on old school american idol like he was the one who was just like You had to be really bad for him to be like, that's going to be a no for me, dog. Like, (laughs) you had to be pretty bad for that.
1: Oh, man. Well, I think we got to get to the scripture, dog. So, what a segue. (laughs) Why don't you go ahead and read our passage from Acts 11 for us? I'd love to. This is Acts 11, just
0: like you said, verses 1 through 18 from the Common English Bible. The apostles and the brothers and sisters throughout Judea heard that even the Gentiles had welcomed God's word. When Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him. They accused him, you went into the home of the uncircumcised and ate with them. Step by step, Peter explained what had happened. I was in the city of Joppa praying when I had a visionary experience. In my vision, I saw something like a large linen sheet being lowered from heaven by its four corners. It came all the way down to me. As I stared at it, wondering what it was, I saw four-legged animals, including wild beasts as well as reptiles and wild birds. I heard a voice say, Get up, Peter. Kill and eat. I responded, Absolutely not, Lord. Nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. The voice from heaven spoke a second time, never consider unclean what God has made pure. This happened three times. Then everything was pulled back into heaven. At that moment, three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea arrived at the house where we were staying. The spirit told me to go with them, even though they were Gentiles. These six brothers also went with me and we entered the man's house. He reported to us how he'd seen an angel standing in his house and saying, Send to Joppa and summon Simon, who's known as Peter. He will tell you how you and your entire household can be saved. When I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just as the Spirit fell on us in the beginning. I remembered the Lord's words, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If God gave them the same gift he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, then who am I? Could I stand in God's way? Once the apostles and other believers heard this, they calmed down. They praised God and concluded, so then God has enabled Gentiles to change their hearts and lives so that they might have
1: new life. Thanks for making your way through that, Seth. I know it was another long passage, apparently on brand for me recently. But I think the story is really important. So tell me what stood out to you. Okay, so like I'm
0: relatively familiar with this. But I never understood why there's a linen sheet that mm. gets lowered from heaven. Like that just like I don't know what the purpose of the sheet is. And like and there's a whole line. Like describing the, the linen sheet, I saw something like a large linen sheet being lowered from heaven by its four
1: corners. And I'm like, Whoa. yeah. Okay. I would assume it's because it's, you know, Palestine and it's hot. And you don't want, you don't want like a flannel sheet. You want a lightweight sheet. That, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. There's some very specific imagery here that I'm not going to pretend to like. Totally know or understand the background of the way i i picture it in my mind is like a tablecloth coming down with all the food on it and especially in a space where tables were and chairs were not common but eating usually happened around a table that was just on the ground i'm wondering if that's part of the imagery is like kind of setting a meal before peter i don't know i i'm really curious Hmm. I, i i I probably should have gotten answers to that question, but I didn't, so here we are. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's okay. That the meal idea makes sense given the rest of the context. Like what Peter couldn't eat because he was unclean, he can now eat because it's clean. Yeah, that makes that makes sense to me. I just think it's like a strange detail that just serves to get us to the animal part. Right? Like, then he sees the animals and the sheets are gone. It's like, okay, whatever. But that's okay. Sometimes things just get lost, like, over time. And I think, like, that's something that probably made a lot more sense to, like, the author of Luke Acts and that audience than it does to us. Now we're like, why is there a sheet coming down?
1: Okay, so I did a quick search. This word for linen sheet is only found in the New Testament in where this story happens in the text in Acts 10 and then where we just read it where Peter's retelling the story in Acts 11. So we don't have much of a comparison anywhere else as to, you know, a, a an equivalent word or usage at least huh. in the New Testament. There is the implication of like something large, like, like I think there's a like a large mm. sheet is 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 right. So it's like think of like a sale or something of okay. that scale. Cause I, I think in, in thinking about it like a meal, I was thinking about like a picnic blanket. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's what I but was maybe, thinking. But, this but is like maybe huge. just thinking like something enormous this is like maybe one of the takeaways. Yeah. <laughs> With all the circus animals ready to eat. Wait. Yeah.
0: <laughs> okay. No, that's helpful. It's interesting. It only occurs there too.
1: I love words that only occur in certain places same okay back to the text okay highlighted this experience with peter having this this feast of food that was previously forbidden for him to eat laid before him and then three times a voice telling him eat 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 uh it then translates to kind of after he comes out of this trance is the word that's, (laughs) that's used uh in some translations or here it says a visionary experience but it's really a trance (laughs) and he has this experience where he comes out of the trance and these men from caesarea had come seeking peter to come with them to cornelius's house Uh, so this is all happening in the previous chapter and it's this whole experience where peter encounters the gentiles and the holy spirit comes upon them and In Acts chapter 11, it essentially recounts the same details, but this time Peter is standing up for himself. He's like, this is what happened, and this is why this is important. Hmm. There are a few phrases here, though, that I think are really important. And two from our passage in particular. One is in verse 9, when the voice from heaven says, Never consider unclean what God has made pure. And then in verse 17, at that moment where Peter is realizing what's happening and recounting this, he says, if God gave them the same gift he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, then who am I? Could I stand in God's way? Yeah, I love that one. I know, it's so good. And the story serves to kind of open the door in the book of Acts to see a movement that had been limited among the Jewish people it it now bridges the it now bridges the animosity that occurred between Jews and Gentiles at the time, and I don't think we have the bandwidth to kind of go into that division necessarily. But our listeners today should read into this a stark, significant divide. This isn't just a religious divide; this is a cultural divide it has to do with a history of exile and oppression and feelings of ownership of the land of palestine uh, and all that that stood for it has to do with the dynamics of empire and being a, a community that was again oppressed under a powerful foreign ruler there's so many dynamics at play that often played out in these communities as family against family or neighborhood against neighborhood and peter's here having this experience at cornelius's house that ultimately becomes the foundation of all of that kind of tearing down the next several chapters of acts are about discovering do you need to be jewish to follow jesus and eventually we see a man named saul uh, who eventually becomes paul doesn't have that name change because of a conversion but uses his roman name instead because he begins ministering among the gentiles this person who had roman citizenship but also a, a deep jewish faith had both names and that his name changes when he leaves israel to start ministering among the gentiles he then begins going by paul it's at that point there's so much about cultural inclusion and so many different dynamics at play here but we've got little bit more info there and highlighted some other things what stands out to you from that stuff okay well here's a pop quiz first oh no do you know
0: where else joppa is mentioned in the bible it's jonah isn't it yeah yeah Yeah. i always thought that was really interesting because like both this and that story are kind of about about opening up you know who's Mm -hmm. in and who's out right yeah, yeah. Like Jonah doesn't want to go. He doesn't want like he he goes to Joppa first before he gets on the boat to go to Tarshish, like to run away. So it's like Joppa like is this place where the grace of God is is bigger than everybody once thought, right? That was good. You see, I I put that pop quiz on you and you you aced it. I'm ready. One one of one
1: one hundred percent right don't ask me anymore i'm not risking my streak (laughs) okay so seth i think we're right on the edge of a question of the question that we all know we're going towards the question of what's the point so i don't want to understate how significant the jewish gentile divide was like it would be understating it to compare it to you know, Democrats eating with Republicans. It's so much deeper than that. Although it feels like that's getting closer and closer every day. Even that's not a good parallel because it's cultural opposition in the midst of the same spaces, the same neighborhoods, the same towns. I mean, maybe we need to think back to the Jim Crow South or other dynamics at play where communities that have deep roots in places also have deep roots in hating each other
0: yeah
1: Hmm. and again it is still a different dynamic because of the power it's it's it is its own thing i'm just trying to get us a little closer but back in chapter 10 when this story actually happens peter says something really interesting when he finally gets to cornelius's house when he gets to this place where he's been invited and it eventually eats he says in Acts 10.34, and this is from the CEB, he says, I really am learning that God doesn't show partiality to one group of people over another. <laughs> Truly, God shows no
0: partiality is how I, how I learned it. It's probably NRS. Yeah. You probably just read CEB.
1: Yeah. yeah. And I'm wondering, Seth, in light of the draft decision released by the Supreme Court or leaked out of the Supreme Court, that will surely, in some form, even though it's not finalized, uh, do what many expected and overturn Roe v. Wade. In the midst of that debate, people of faith, on many different sides of this, seem to look at people with a different perspective and question how they could be a person of faith. I will admit that 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 has been part of my thought process part of my conversations is really struggling to see how people so earnest in their faith can see something like this so differently and let it translate to such poisonous hatred Hmm. this passage to me challenges me because it asks me the question Who do I think that salvation isn't for? I think that's the question we need to explore. (laughs) Is who do we think all of this is not for?
0: Oh, okay. (laughs) I think think we need to explore it. And my unwillingness to actually evidences how deeply we need to. Like, the more I push back, the more I think that, yeah, I probably need to answer that question.
1: And to be clear, I'm not asking us to do it necessarily in the context of the abortion debate. Yeah, I understand. I've been really struggling with the fact that God's agape, as we talked about a few weeks ago, that I don't get to determine who that's for. Yeah. (laughs) As much as I want to be the gatekeeper for that. I guess the related
0: question for me is like, when you like give communion, when you distribute it, you know, who gets a piece, right? Who gets a slice or a drink? You know, are some people not worthy? Who's in, who's out? Is that up to me to decide? Do I have some role to try and like, you know, guard? communion in some way yeah i think those are intertwined questions for me like who do i think's in who do i think's in this jesus following camp and who
1: do i think gets communion like those are twin questions for me if i'm being honest seth i think one of the things that's on my mind is is situations of abuse in the church and i have both witnessed this and experienced this directly in i've witnessed and experienced it uh, myself in like the forms of emotional and spiritual abuse um and i know those that i love and care about who have um experienced it to a really really damaging extent too and i was listening to fellow messiah alum and fellow podcaster drew hart uh, and jared mckenna on their podcast the inverse podcast with author laura beringer who came out of willow creek church outside of chicago and has written a lot with uh her dad actually scott mcknight who's a relatively well-known theologian they wrote together a book called uh, a church called Tove," playing on using the hebrew word for goodness that's really common in the hebrew bible so in their conversation, they talked about the work of another another writer about <laughs> clergy abuse named Chuck DeGroat, who writes about narcissism in pastoral mm-hmm. ministry in particular, and the effects that it has on the church. And his research has indicated that all pastors, all pastors, demonstrate signs of narcissism. Every single one. <laughs> <Whoa>. <laughs> And they were talking about it on the air, and they were like, to some extent I get it, because you you feel comfortable speaking for God <laughs> in, in, in a particular situation. Uh, but it yeah. also, like, like, if that's part of our common personality trait, if that's the common thread that runs through all of us, there's a lot of damage that can be done. Hmm. And honestly, if I'm coming back to it, you know, I know I'm not I'm no perfect clergy person but it's really hard for me to think about my peers who abuse that power and think about salvation being for them it's really hard hmm. for me to think about salvation coming for the orchestrators and the constructors and the perpetuators of the white supremacist patriarchy that we exist in hmm. Seth, I think behind all of that is this deep-seated fear that salvation isn't for me. Not necessarily because of things that I've done or haven't done, but because of how I know I'm connected to the world and the culture around us. Things my people have done to other people. And how God comes and is on the side of the oppressed and the marginalized. I think there's part of this that... Like, yeah, I I do cast that judgment on other people. But I think it's rooted in a fear for myself.
0: Hmm. You ever hear... I think it's originally an African-American spiritual. Called Everybody Talking About Heaven Ain't Going There. and the, The idea is, like, the white preachers who would talk about heaven, you know, constantly in all their services, ain't going there. Mm. Sometimes I'm afraid just like you were talking about. That's me. Like when your job, your vocation is, is talking about thinking about heaven and how it relates to the everyday world. It's hard to hear that and think, oh, that's an indictment of me.
1: You know the interesting thing, Seth? When I'm feeling this way, as I am right now, and kind of realizing it, I come back to this passage and get a lot of comfort. Yeah, me too. Because this story opens the door for you and me to be part of this thing called the Jesus Movement, called Christianity, called The Way and it's really humbling <laughs> to think about it you and i haven't had to think about much in our lives of people opening doors for us we just assume they're unlocked and are <laughs> going to open with our touch
0: yeah that's true
1: and this is a story that needs to remind us that we were welcomed into this movement at one point too it's not our movement. Mm. The Jesus follower camp that you were talking about isn't our camp. Even if we feel like we have a little bit of understanding around a group of tents or at our particular tent, like, we're not in charge mm. of the whole thing.
0: That's a good reminder for a narcissist. I'll speak as a Lutheran. A Lutheran of Lutherans. But I think that the same fear that we have, like, is Luther's too. Like am I saved? I just picture him being so paranoid, like wandering around all the time. Yeah. <laughs> just asking that same question. Am I saved? Am I saved? Yeah, and and he comes to the conclusion, right, that like you just have to trust. But then this is what I think is so fascinating is then he's like he offers sort of a litmus test, I guess. Like, oh, you know, if you if you want to know, the question you need to ask is like, am I serving others? Because people who are serving others are secure in their salvation. It's because they know God loves them that they can they can not worry about that and they can focus on other people. And then I'm like, okay Luther. Am I serving others enough, or or am I am I still worried about the salvation thing? But I think that it's helpful for me to think about like what am I doing for others, and that that's actually will kind of sort all the salvation stuff out. I can leave that part to God. Still scary though, because I like to know. Yeah, I like to be in control. Well, I really I really am coming off sort of like a narcissist with narcissistic tendencies.
1: You, you're going to be a pastor, aren't you? It's part <laughs> of the deal. I think we can be assured because the end of this story is that Peter identifies who belongs by identifying where the Holy Spirit was at work.
0: <laughs>
1: We've had this door open to us. We've experienced the Holy Spirit at work. I think the next and final step is our willingness to being open to seeing the spirit at work in others, including the people we imagine that salvation isn't for.
0: Jonathan, for you and me, I think it might mean also looking for the spirit at work in us.
1: Mm. Let me pray for that, because I'm sure going to need some help with that. (laughs) Yeah, me too. let's pray god who shows no partiality we give you thanks for that linen sheet that opened so many doors doors for new communities in palestine and the ancient world doors for us to belong to you i pray that you give us eyes to see the holy spirit at work wherever she may be active, in our world, in the communities we despise, and in ourselves. Mindful of the many names by which your children cry out to you from all over the world, I pray in the name of the one who told us that we would be born of water and the Spirit, Jesus Christ. Amen.
0: Amen. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. Next week, we're also talking more about the Holy Spirit. We're looking at a passage in John when Jesus promises the paraclete or the advocate. But Jonathan, thanks for walking us through that story. Thanks for helping me tell it. When Peter went
1: I had to perp <laughs> and again,
0: I knew it was coming.